This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by WGAR's Late Night Show, on all night from 6 to 6. Be sure to tune in tonight for more from The Count. That's right, a real, live, honest-to-goodness vampire. That's tonight on WGAR. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week, it's Broken Romantics Week on Pod Cemetery with <laughs> 1977's Martin and 2002's May. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. You want a question you're not going to be able to answer? Sure. What actress played the heroine Helen Lyle in the 1992 film Candyman? Oh, fuck. <laughs> There's no way in hell I'm going to remember her name. Nope. What is it? Virginia Madsen. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know the name. <laughs> and I can totally put those two things together, but to pull it out of my ass? No, absolutely not. All right, Kelsey. This is related to the movie we're about to watch. What role did Romero play in his film, Martin? Shit, I feel like you said it too. Fuck. I don't know. Romero plays Father Howard, the local priest that the cousin invites over and they have a chat. He mentions that the older father watched The Exorcist, and he recommends they talk to him about exorcisms. <sighs> yeah, that's George Romero. Mm. Fairly young George Romero, actually, considering how like we know him today. Yes. All right, Kelsey, that's a great transition into 1977's Martin, written and directed by George A. Romero, starring John Amplos, Lincoln Maisel, and Christine Forrest. Christine Forrest, who plays Christina, the granddaughter, <laughs> uh, eventually married George Romero in 1981. Romero died in 2017. I didn't know Romero was dead. Yeah, uh -huh, just a couple years ago. So uh, rest in peace, George Romero. What is Martin about? A vampire is trying to make it work. In 1970s Philadelphia society. Sure. <laughs> now, the, the movie isn't available on any streaming media. Now, reports are that Richard Rubenstein, who was one of the producers, he produced a bunch of Romero and Stephen King projects, like The Stand and Thinner and other such things. Uh, oh, I think he did The Langoliers. <laughs> Uh, he's he's apparently reportedly just really stingy, and he asks astronomical prices to license the movies that he produced, so they're not available to stream. So basically, fuck him, <laughs> and if you want to watch it, it's bootlegged on YouTube. <laughs> Make sure he doesn't get a fucking dime. <laughs> or if you really want to support the other people involved, you can buy it on DVD. 
Should people watch Martin? I mean, it was free to watch, so I'm fine with it. But, like, I don't know if I'd have paid to see it. Here's the thing. I think it's really important that we say this right up front. Just a big heads up. Beware to anyone who might be adversely affected by depictions of rape or suicide. Yes. Because the movie is very graphic. Yes. Neither of those two things technically happens on screen, but they might as well happen on screen. They're they're very they they're very potentially traumatizing. So just be aware of that. It was actually caught under the the video nasty panic that happened in the UK because of their obscene publications act from 1959. If you've heard ever heard the term video nasty is basically a list of all these films we've, that were yeah, we've talked some about of the it movies the on yeah. there. So so this is one of those films. So there's a reason why it was caught up in that one, this one in particular. So just beware. Otherwise, personally, I think you absolutely should. Kelsey, not so much. Maybe since it's free, you might as well watch it. Right. Either way, you can take either one of our advices, pieces of advice. Yes. Or leave it. And when we get back, we will talk about 1977's Martin. My name is Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. It's not easy living the way I do. I have to be careful all the time. I'm pretty good at it. I think as I get older, I get better. I haven't been caught yet. Martin, another kind of terror. You see, people don't understand what's wrong. They think that I'm a monster. They think I'm a vampire. Those things I see in the movies are not real. I don't have a whole lot of women. It's nice to watch them. I watch them a lot all the time. I have to, to be sure that nothing goes wrong. I follow them. I plan. I'm very careful. I have needles now. I can use them. I can put them to sleep. And it doesn't hurt. I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. But I want to stay alive. I do need blood. From the director of Night of the Living Dead. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Martin begin? So Martin is on a train in the middle of the night. He wants to break into this woman's compartment on the train. But what's interesting is in his imagination, and we know it's his imagination because the movie goes from color to black and white, he sees her as wanting him. So this is kind of important. That's not his imagination. That's his memory. I may be tainted by his imagination, but this is a thing that happened to him. He's constantly flashing back to... Like his first experience with what's about to happen. And I think that's kind of important. I would say it's half imagination, half flashback. It's very romanticized. Yes. Where he opens the door and she's there and she's like, come in, Martin. Like she wants to fuck him. (laughs) And then we see what really happens. It's juxtaposed against the reality, the lack of romance, because she's not there waiting for him to come take her. 
She's in the bathroom. Yes. And she's in a robe. She's getting, she has a face mask on. When we see her first, she's blowing her nose. Like, it's not anything like his romantic ideal. And it's a lot messier than I think he would prefer it to be. Yeah, he when he comes in and he tries to sedate her with a syringe, uh, he says, I just want you to sleep. Please, just go to sleep. Ah! Please don't Because he doesn't enjoy hurting people. No. He just really wants to have sex with you and drink your blood. And he knows that you're not going to be down for that. So he has to sedate you. See, that's the thing. I don't think he's having sex with these victims. I think it's sexual. But I don't think he's having sex with them. I think he, we see him get naked with her. And then we see him slit her wrists. And the blood gets all over him. I think he wants to be close and intimate with these women. And yes, it's a it's an intense violation, let alone murder. But I don't think it's for literal sex. That's why later on when he talks about sex, he claims he's a virgin. No, but he specifically says, I do sexy stuff with women, but I can't do it when they're awake. Does he? So yeah, he does. He does say that, and so that's what I think he means when he says, "I'm a virgin." In that, I've never had sex with a woman who was willing to have yes. sex with me. Yes. This scene, by the way, goes on forever. Yes, it's it's really long, and it's really clumsy. I think intentionally so, and she fights back. And yeah. at one point, though, her face mask comes off. I wrote that down. I was like, her face mask is suddenly off. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I don't know if it was supposed to have fallen off, but. No, I think wiped off. But ladies. Yeah. We all know that face masks are hard to get off. I yeah. mean, like, if you have the new ones that are actual masks, but like back then you put, you actually put shit all over your face. Like, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> One of these shots where he's slicing somebody's wrist or arm, I guess you could say, almost got the film an X rating. According to George Romero, he had to trim the shot. It wasn't that it was too graphic. It's that it was too long. And that was what was so disturbing about it. And so he cut it down by a couple of seconds and saved it from getting an X rating. But... Like, the razor blade shot is incredibly intense. Her eyes are open, which is incredibly intense. And it's hard to watch, like... It is. Him trying to be, like Chris said, intimate with her. But she's, like, passed out. And it's really interesting because it's not like a, oh, yeah, I'm gonna fuck you. It's like a, I wish you were awake and I wish you were into this. Like, But since you're not... He puts her arms around him and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like, he wants it to be loving. He just doesn't know how to be that way. Yeah, for all intents and purposes. Which is really why these two movies are together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Broken romantics. (laughs) Yes. When you see him actually cut open her wrists and actually drink her blood, it becomes very real. But then the very next day, he's walking around in the sunlight and you're just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. So. That's one of it. We'll get into it, but it's one of the theses of this movie. We get to meet Martin's cousin. This is important. The cousin will explain it later because the cousin is like in his 70s. 
or whatever. Yeah, he's old. But Martin, the one we know, is in like his early 30s, late 20s. Mm-hmm. And the reason that the cousin explains is that Martin doesn't age. Martin's actually like 80 years old, but he doesn't age. And you're like, okay, it's the vampire thing. But literally the only things, the only things about Martin that are vampire as we know it are that he doesn't age and that he has a thirst for blood. Nothing else that you know about vampires comes into actual play here. Mm-hmm. People talk about it. People are worried about it. And the the movie jokes about it. But none of it's reality. I think the idea is that his cousin, who I'm basically going to call Van Helsing. <laughs> yes, we can call him Van Helsing, but his name is Kuda. That's his last name. Kuda. What I think is that they come from a long line. Doesn't he have, doesn't he have like a brother and a sister and the sister killed herself? Yeah, he says. He is Nosferatu. He was born to Alina Bulvesa and Rudy Matthias in the old country in 1892. He is young for Nosferatu. There have been nine such accursed in the family. There are three still alive. Martin is one. Caldo Maldoli is the eldest in the family now. From the old country, he sends the letters telling who will take the Pomeri into their house. We obey, first for the family shame, and again because to defy the evil ones is to bring a curse upon oneself. I will not shame the family, but the devil, the devil can take my soul. I would have destroyed the children the moment they showed the signs. Elena Budoresa took her own life instead. Now, Martin comes to me. That there are three of them that have the curse or whatever. It's a family curse. Nobody's turned into a vampire. It's a family curse. And I think, yeah, we hear about the sister killing herself. And there's a third one. And I don't remember what happened to that third one. But I think the idea is that this is a thing that's been happening. And so, like, the people in the family are aware. And that's why the cousin, he's like, my goal is to save your soul. And then I will destroy you. He says... Nosferatu. Yes. Vampire. He says Nosferatu a lot. (laughs) First, I will save your soul. Then I will destroy you. I will show you your room. But which is fascinating. But if you kill anyone, I will simply destroy you. You may come and go, but you will not take people from the city. If I hear of it a single time, I will destroy you without salvation. Now, why Martin has come willingly, we don't know. And we're never told. But, I mean, there could be a lot of reasons. It could be that he has nowhere else to go or what. Or maybe he's attracted by the fact that Kudo wants to provide salvation. But if that were the case, I don't imagine that he would be so degrading towards his cousin because his cousin is under the impression that Oh, if I put up my cross, you won't be able to come near me. And Martin picks it up with his hand. Or if garlic. You, g- on the garlic door. on my door. And he he shows him that he can touch it, that he can do whatever he wants with it. And he's just like, see, even I know it's not magic. Yeah. But it is magic. If you're not if you are not aging and you are able to drink human blood and not get sick from that, it is magic. That bothered me throughout the entire film. I was like, it's not, so it's not all of the magic, but it's some magic.
magic. Why are you pretending like it's not? So maybe that's that's it, though. We have the, the granddaughter, Kuda's granddaughter, who lives with him, who thinks he's crazy. And the only one who calls Martin old, Martin doesn't claim to be old. The only one who calls him old is Kuda. But he doesn't deny it. They've no. got pictures of him from the whatever time in the, like in black and white pictures. Like uh-huh. we know that he is. And these are this the and there are scenes that happen in Martin's mind. But then again, there's the confusion of how much of this is actual memory and how much of it is fantasy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the young woman who we're not sure if she's his granddaughter or what. <laughs> yeah. Uh is there and she is kind of ditzy. And she's trying to talk to him, but Marn's not having any of it, not responding to her, not listening to her. And then she randomly asks him if he would like a phone line. <laughs> yeah, because there's no phone in the house, so she had to have her own line run up to her room. But she's like, well, we can split the cost if you want another line run up to your room. As a young person, you might want that. So that night at dinner, Martin is playing with a, um, like a prop guillotine like that you might stick your finger in. It's a magic trick. And he shows it cuts like a carrot or something like that. And then he asks the granddaughter, Christina, to put her finger in. And even though she she believes him and she trusts him, she still doesn't trust that something might go wrong or whatever. And she refuses to do it. Smart girl. Yeah. And so he does it instead and slams it down and it doesn't cut him. And then he explains what's going on and what the trick is. And he says, see, it has two blades, a real one and a slip blade. You hold the real one. And pull the slip blade up. Things only seem to be magic. There is no real magic. There's no real magic ever. And that's one of the theses of this movie, is that this is reality. We never even get confirmation that he is elderly, like actual confirmation, just reports. And anything that Martin believes Christina writes off as a psychosis that the family put on him. Your father was not from our part of the world. Your mother knew. She believed. Well, if she did, then thank God I was too little to know her. Martin had his father until he was 32. Grandfather, he is just a boy. Look in the books, Christina. We had the books of the family. Did you ever look? Of course, the books. The books will show it. Those damn books, they should be burned. That's where you get your horrible ideas. Ask the boy himself. Ask Martin. He will tell you. He's unbalanced. He's mad. And you and those books have driven him to it. You know, he killed somebody in a night of passion when he was young. And he's obviously a disturbed young man. And they thought he was a vampire. So maybe now he's believing that. You know, we don't know. Everything that we actually see on screen is just cold, stark reality. And the lighting, the camera movements, the cinematography in general all reinforce that sort of reality. Everything feels real, like you're really there. The point is, the only mysticism is that he's unaged and he loves blood. <laughs> so Martin has a job working for Kuda at his grocery store, I guess it is. 
and he stock shelves and he delivers groceries. And he delivers groceries to this one woman named Abby. And she's not exactly happy. We find out later that she's in kind of a loveless marriage and that she can't have kids. And she thinks that Martin's like aloof and kind of adorable. Yes, she is interested in Martin. Uh-huh. Because he is. He doesn't talk to anybody. It takes him a while before he even talks to Christina. Yeah. He doesn't say much in the whole movie. And it's weird because I feel like Martin gets it, that she's into him. So I don't know if it's just that he's not interested or if that he's nervous. I think he's nervous. I don't think he has confidence. Okay. That's why he needs them to be knocked out because he doesn't trust himself. But when he is put in scenarios where he needs to think on his feet, he is very good at improvisation. And that'll come up later. Eventually, though, he ends up. Well, she says, you remind me of my old cat. Yes. Because she can talk to him and talk to him and talk to him and he doesn't respond. (laughs) But it makes her feel better. She has somebody that she doesn't feel intimidated by, who doesn't treat her badly, who she can say all of her fears and worries to. But she's obviously extremely unhappy. And it's nice to have an attractive young man there who she can feel free to do whatever around. Yes. Meanwhile... The uncle is explaining that there were only three left. Uh, so there were three vampires born into the family uh, that, that the last time it happened. And yeah, one of them took her own life, and now Martin comes to me. And again, I don't understand why. It, it's never explained. What is he doing here? What does he want from this situation? And he says a great line because his granddaughter whoever she is is telling him that's crazy you're crazy blah 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 like we're way more intelligent than that now and he says people cannot come to other people's beliefs it's hard for you i know it's hard for anyone young do you believe that god's whole world runs by the laws of the few scientists we have been able to discover oh no christina there is more but people are satisfied they know so much they think they know all. And that makes it easy for Nosferatu. That makes it easy for all the devils. And it leaves us prey to these things that do happen. Yeah. And then Martin says he wants a phone, and we find out he wants a phone because he wants to call into a radio show. And this is somebody who he can talk to in his room on the phone, and so he can feel free because he's anonymous to say everything that's on his mind and get things out there. And he ends up talking to this all night radio host who's on the air for 12 hours every night from six o'clock at night to six o'clock in the morning. And is that what it is? Six I don't to know. Six? It's something like that. Just for a very long time, they have this radio show and he calls in and he just talks about what it's like to be a vampire. <laughs> this radio host who is like one of the, cameraman or something like that on the movie gives him the name of the count because he claims to be a vampire and he talks about this and he talks about the reality of being a vampire yeah people think that this is what it's like and that's what it's like none of that's real it's absolutely not it's kind of lonely in the meantime he does attack another woman yeah he sees this woman who apparently went to the store in her robes 
I wrote down, did she just go to the store in her robes? <laughs> she gets hassled in the parking lot and he does nothing to stop it. I don't know if it's the same woman or not. My memory is failing me right now, but he ends up delivering to somebody and then like deciding that this person is going to be my prey. And it's the weirdest thing. He gives them a letter that's like, I am deaf. Help me. Yeah. So he can like case the joint and figure out what's going on and who lives there or whatever and finds the husband there. And eventually the husband leaves and is like, I'm going to be gone for like a day or a couple days on a business trip. And so he's like, okay, well, this is my chance to strike. And so he breaks in. Okay, so first, before he again imagines her saying, Martin. Yeah. Martin. Come to me, Martin. 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 And when he walks in, he sees the naked woman with a, a different man in the bedroom. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> he's like, whoa, 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 man, let's not get excited here. Because he thinks he was just walked in on by her husband. And she has to explain that I don't know who he is. He is not my husband. Let's not get excited about this now. That's no reason to get upset about anything, okay? I don't know him! And before anybody can do anything, Martin leaps over the bed and, and uses the one dose that he has already primed to stab it into the dude. But he is a very large man, and it doesn't do much of anything to him. So I was absolutely not expecting him to walk in on an affair. There is nothing that prepares you for that. It's kind of a hilarious complication of events that forces him to improvise. Yes. And this scene goes on for quite a while because a lot of stuff happens. And at first I was like, this phone bullshit is going on for forever. So he's being chased around. He disappears. And the dude, the dude is like, Call somebody. He just stuck me with something. She's like, I can't call anybody. You're not supposed to be here. No one can know I'm having an affair. So she's really hesitant to call anybody. And he's like, I don't care. That guy just stuck me with something. I don't care who finds out. This is more important. And so he goes around the house looking for Martin and Martin disappears. And she goes to try to at least call a hospital. She calls for information and gets the number. And then she tries to call the number, but Martin is downstairs in the game room on another phone and just listening to her conversation and keep pressing buttons while she's trying to dial. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, it's broken. And then when she tries to call again, she's like, I forgot the number. Something's wrong with the phone. Use that phone. And so he picks up the phone like in their kitchen or something like that. And it doesn't work either. And it's like, wait a minute. Is there another phone? And she says, yeah, downstairs in the game room. And when he goes downstairs to get 
to the other phone, maybe find Martin. He runs outside because I think Martin left the door open or something like that. And Martin closes the door behind him and locks it. And then when he goes after her to try to get her knocked out, he reloads a new dose of his whatever the drug is. And when he goes into her room to confront her, the dude shows up and he lets him in and then attacks him from behind and punctures him again. And the dude tries to get away and he runs outside again. Martin follows him into the outside where he the dude collapses in the, the woods outside. And he says to him, you weren't supposed to be there. Why were you there? You weren't supposed to be there. You weren't supposed to be there. You weren't supposed to be there. Like he's really, really upset. Like this guy almost betrayed him. Like he fucked things up for him. Yeah. Which of course he did, but he has this romanticized version of what's supposed to happen. And he's made allowances for what he needs to do in order to make it happen, which is drug them and put them to sleep. But the fact that there is this other guy there fucks it up. He can't pretend that this woman loves him if he comes into the room and she's sleeping with another dude. And so maybe to punish him, he very slowly drives a branch through the dude's neck. What did you think of that effect? Do you remember that? I remember it, but I didn't think much of it. It's not a great effect. They just buried the dude. It's kind of like the effect in uh, Friday the 13th with Kevin Bacon and the arrow through the neck thing. Yeah. Where his, you know, since he's kind of at an angle and the, the line between where his chin ends and his neck begins is kind of uneven and it doesn't look realistic. He is driving it into that and that leaks blood. But it's still like really bold because the movie takes its time showing you this. Mm-hmm. And he just slowly drives it into his neck, puncturing it and killing him. And I don't think he – does he end up killing the woman? I don't remember. I feel like he kind of scraps it. But either way, I love his improv in this moment. As unconfident as he is, when the situation calls for it, he is very capable and devious. Yes. But you're worried about him almost. You know, because he's the protagonist, even though he's an awful person, they kind of present him as bumbling and shy and and he's the main character you're focusing on. So you kind of root for him, even though you know you shouldn't because he's awful. Yeah, I don't think I was ever rooting for him. <laughs> but either way, whether he kills her or not, again, I can't remember or whether he does it the way he wanted to or not, he ends up leaving and going home. And we hear more of him talking on the phone. This is uh, to the radio show. This is when he says, I'm much too shy to do the sexy stuff when when the women are awake and without the blood. But I'd like to. I'd like to try. Yeah. But I'm too shy to do it. Then they they have the other. They have the sexy stuff. (laughs) Whenever they want it. I've been much too shy to ever do the sexy stuff. <laughs> I mean, do it with someone who is awake. Uh, Someday maybe I'll get to do it. Awake. Without the blood part. Just do it with somebody. And then be together. The next day, the uncle is going to church and he is making Martin go with him. He says, I will not be seen in church without you. Right, because that is improper. At one point, he gets accused of being improper because he's letting this young man stay in his house with his granddaughter. 
Yes. And he's like, no, my my family doesn't do anything improper. We're, we do everything the way that we should. So part of that is everyone goes to church. Yes. And while there, they meet the priest that they want to perform the exorcism. Father Howard. This is George Romero. Like I said earlier, Father Howard recommends another priest to perform the exorcism because, oh, he just saw the exorcist and he's like all into it or whatever. Fascinating subject, actually. You should talk to Father Zulimus about this. Father Zulimus. Zulimus. He's a great old guy. He claims to have actually done the old mystical rites for real. You know, he went to see that film, The Exorcist. He said they did it all wrong. Zulimus. I don't suppose you saw that movie. I thought it was great. And he thinks it's totally real. And so that priest shows up to perform this exorcism and he just seems so bored and it's very matter of fact. He's just reading the rights. It's kind of hilarious how Martin is just kind of sitting there and being like, nothing is happening. And so eventually he runs away. Mm -hmm. And when his uncle gets home, he's dressed up as a vampire. He's got the makeup on, uh-huh. he's got the cape and it's very silly. He's got the fake teeth. And at first, Uncle thinks, here we go. I'm there. I'm right. Uh huh. He is a vampire. But in fact, Martin laughs at him. Right. Like, proving to him, real. this is all very silly. So then he goes to see the woman again who he delivers groceries for. And she's kind of coming on to him and he's like, wait, just a minute. You want me here for sex, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> you want me here for sex, don't you? I never really did it before. I was always too shy. But I decided I'd really like to do it with you. I want to make it with you. I really think that we could make it good. <laughs> and so they do. They have sex. And it seems like it went well but then she starts crying because she's married and she feels guilty yeah and and she's just generally depressed and to, he thinks that she's upset because he thinks that he's made her pregnant yes. he's like i knew i should have worn one of those things <laughs> she's like no this is when she reveals that she can't get pregnant cuz there's something wrong with her she feels personally responsible for the fact that she can't have kids so then he goes back to his uncle's house and he finds his, his, the granddaughter of his uncle is very upset, very, very upset about a lot of things in her life. And he thinks it's all about her boyfriend. And he's like, well, I don't like Arthur. I don't think he treats you right. And she's just like, I don't care about Arthur either. He's just my way of getting out of this family. Yeah, I'm going to leave with him simply so that I can leave. Arthur, by the way, is played by Tom Savini. The makeup and effects artist who has worked with Romero on several things, including Dawn of the Dead, where he played one of the bikers in Dawn of the Dead. You can also see him. He performs a stunt in this. He gets hit by a car. And that's it's very obviously Tom Savini. And then I think he's talking on the radio again. He explains there are a lot of people I could do it to. I've got to pick somebody new. Like I've got to I've got to go on the hunt. And so he goes to kill some random person. Yeah. So it's in this moment that he he tries to get away and the cops are coming after him and he he, he breaks into a shop to change his clothes. And I, I just wrote down, 
Jesus, you don't have time for this. You could have changed somewhere else. Just grab the clothes and left, but he changes in the shop, and now the cops are coming, and he he ends up stumbling into like a crack den or something like that, or whatever. There, there are criminals there, and guy tells him to get out, but he runs in, and then a cop comes in after him, and then one of the dudes just sees a cop and just starts firing at the cop, and... I wrote, he's not cursed with vampirism. He is blessed with luck. This Mm -hmm. dude has lucked out so, so much. Mm -hmm. But where he doesn't luck out is in his love life. When he goes to visit her, he finds her in her bathtub and she's committed suicide, which is a hell of a twist. Yeah. So anything that could possibly be his way out is taken from him. Yeah. Until he gets back to his cousin's house and his cousin releases him, but not in the way he would like to be released. Yeah. So he uh, he's he's sleeping and his cousin says it happened. Basically, I knew it would happen. And he's and he's like, what? What are you talking about? Right. Like you didn't you killed somebody in town. I told you not to do it. Don't even try to tell me that you didn't do it. Now he he's going to do what he threatened to do, which is destroy him without salvation. And so just like all of a sudden, just he fucking stakes him through the stomach, which is a little weird. <laughs> but we see him stake Martin and there's blood everywhere. And two things happening. We get people calling into the radio show asking, where's the count? Where's the count? Whatever happened to the count? And we get Kuda covering a what is obviously a grave in his garden. and. We, we get one dude at the end who says, I think I know who the Count is. I have a friend who I think is the Count. Now, I would just dismiss that as just like, oh, it's another crank calling in. But it's like one of the clearest lines. It's the loudest line. And it's like the last line of the movie. Vampire. All right, our man, the Count. Yes, yes. This stock boy works down at the... Uh-huh. Give me any information on the vampire. On the count! We have a call for the count. Come on, count. Count, I hope you're listening out there. The people want to hear from you. Go ahead. What's, what's, your, what's your concern about the count? I wondered where he was, and while I was wondering, I wrote a song about it. We enjoy it. Good night. We enjoy your show. I hope you get him back. Okay. And it, it was a good gimmick. I think I know where the count is. I have a friend who I think is the count. Which is very bizarre. The movie's over. Honestly, I wrote, I'd be surprised if this movie hasn't been remade. And I looked it up and nope, it has never been remade. Out of all the movies to be remade, this isn't one of them. Because I was fascinated by this movie. Why? I think because of how real it was, the complicated relationship that the audience has with the protagonist, I thought it was very well executed. Other movies have done that sort of thing before, but I thought it was very well executed. Martin is really intense and weird. Kuda is also very weird, but in kind of a funny way. It manages to be extremely intense and disturbing and funny at the same time. True. Which is really difficult to pull off. I it just it felt real the whole time, even when it was absolutely ridiculous. As a matter of fact, there's one scene towards the end when he's just walking through a parade. That wasn't <laughs> scripted. They were trying to film there, and the parade showed up. So they're just like, all right, let's just film this. And they film Martin walking into the middle of this parade. 
Do you have anything for lightning round? No. I just feel like it is an interesting little film, and it is strange, but I don't know if it adds much to the horror world. I, I don't know what it adds to anything. I don't know what... I feel like its ultimate message is that we're all searching for happiness. Oh. And some of us gain happiness through the sorrow of others. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean they are evil, but it does mean that we need to be careful. Because it just seems like everyone in this movie is unhappy. Yeah. Which I appreciate and I understand what it's saying, but... That's a good point. It feels like, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it accomplished much. Well, what Romero has claimed the movie is about, I say claimed, he gets to decide what his movie is about from his perspective. So there's no claim. <laughs> Whether or not he's successful, you can decide for yourself. But he has said that the movie is about something along the lines of the reason he removed all of the mysticism of vampirism is that we take the bad parts of humanity and we dress it up in all this magic. Because we to, can't handle the fact that people are just bad. Yeah, as if to remove it from ourselves, as if to remove it and get it as far away from, I think he says, expurgate it from humanity. But the reality is that the evil is inside of us. And that is humanity. And so I think that plays into the, your observation that no one's happy in this movie. That he's just trying to satisfy some urge. And it's not because he's a vampire. Even though he is. It's because... But again, there's no confirmation of that. None. Zero confirmation. It's, he can drink blood. No, he doesn't... He pours blood all over himself and he consumes it, yes. But that's all we see. He doesn't suck it out of their neck with his sharp teeth. He doesn't turn into a bat. He's not good with women, which is another thing that vampires are supposed to be. Supposed to be able to seduce people. He enters people's homes without permission, explicitly without permission. Like, everything you associate with being a vampire, except for his agelessness. And even that we can't confirm. So... Yeah, it's just trying to root it in reality. And the way it was filmed, I think, supports that. With there's a lot of handheld camera going on. Uh, nothing's shot, or rather, nothing's lit unnaturally. Everything feels very naturally lit. Almost like it's a Dogma 95 movie or something. And it, and it does feel very real in that way. It had a budget of, I've heard conflicting reports... Of eighty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars, and that is it. The producer Rubenstein said that it was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and I think at one point Romero said that as well. But later on, Rubenstein confessed that no, it was more like a hundred thousand dollars. But I didn't want to tell anybody that we could make a movie for a hundred thousand dollars because then nobody would give us any money to make movies ever again. <laughs> So he lied about that. There was also apparently an original cut of the film that ran for two hours and forty five minutes. That would have been a really long movie. Because I wrote at one point, I think it was the the vampire scene where he dresses up like a vampire, that a lot of this movie felt unnecessary to me, at least in the moment. I think maybe in retrospect, I don't feel that as much. But I say unnecessary, not that it not every scene 
you know, contributes to the film and what it was trying to accomplish. But there's a lot of stuff that happens that doesn't directly affect the plot. Like when he confronts his his cousin with the Dracula outfit, like he's confronted his cousin several times with the garlic, with the cross. He said explicitly, it's not magic over and over and over again. Why did we really need another scene like that? And I wrote down, could you imagine a two hour and 45 minute version of this movie? No. Apparently there isn't one that exists. Romero said that, yeah, there, like it did exist, but it hasn't been saved or maintained in any way, shape or form. This is the version that you get. That's the only version that exists. So with that said, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 37? 90%. Holy shit. George A. Romero's contribution to vampire lore contains the expected gore and social satire, but it's also surprisingly thoughtful and boasts a whopper of a final act. Metacritic of 68. Overrated or underrated? I think I know what you're going to say. 90 is way overrated. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 66. I think it's a competent film. I think it made me laugh a couple times. He's a creepy dude. But like, overall... It just fascinated me. I'm kind of enamored with this movie. I think I'm going to give it an 82. Wow. Yeah. I'd never seen it before. I, I don't really know anything about it going into it, that is. So I didn't have any preconceived notion of what it was going to be. And even still, it managed to surprise me. And I think the more I think about it, the more I like it. I don't think I would have given it an 82 just after having watched it. But it's been like two, three days since we saw it. And I think it's grown on me more and more since then. Who knows? By the time we do our end of the year commentary on what the best movies that we watched this year were, I might like it even more. Hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I really liked it. I'm glad. That is 1977's Martin. Before we move on to the next film, Kelsey, horror trivia. Who are the only two actors who have faced off against an alien, a Terminator, and a Predator? Okay. And when you say alien, you mean xenomorph, right? Yeah. Like specifically the alien from Aliens. Okay, so has Lance Henriksen faced off against a Predator? Because he has faced off against a Terminator and an alien. So I'm going to say Lance Henriksen is one of them. You are correct. Okay. Uh, trying to think of people who are in the Terminator franchise and an alien. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's never faced off against an alien, but he has faced off against a Terminator. I don't know who the second one is. You giving up? It, really frustrating because I think, I think like early on this came up in a movie we watched. But go ahead. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. Fuck. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I think we've talked about this like maybe in our first year. I had no idea Bill Paxton was in a Predator movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Predator movies well enough. Like I know, I know the first Predator. I've seen Predator 2 once and I've seen Predators. None of the other movies, none of the AVP movies I've even seen. None of them. So eventually we'll do Alien and Aliens. Eventually we'll do Predator. But 
No, I don't well I don't know them well enough, so. All right, Kelsey, what does the A in George A Romero stand for? Alexander. Andrew. It was either Alexander or Arthur in my head, so. <laughs> I'm glad I it wasn't Arthur. Arthur. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Andrew, George Andrew Romero. All right, Kelsey, that brings us to our next movie, 2002's May, written and directed by Lucky McKee, starring Angela Bettis, Jeremy Sisto, Anna Ferris, and James Duvall. Angela Bettis was Carrie in the 2002 remake of Carrie, the one we did not watch for the show. Jeremy Sisto is, well, he's Jeremy Sisto, and Anna Ferris is, well, she's Anna Ferris. <laughs> Kelsey probably can't see James Duvall without thinking of Donnie Darko. He's Frank. Oh, yeah. I can't see him without thinking of Doom Generation. We both probably can't see him without thinking of John the Mod from SLC Punk. I was going to say, yeah. or SLC Punk. <laughs> but he's also in, uh, isn't he the older brother in Independence Day? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. I'm, that's a nice pull. That was a good pull. It's not immediately what I think of him in, though. No. I immediately think of SLC Punk. I forget that he's Frank. Right, because you kind of, like... You see him in all of, like, two scenes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and then I always remember him from Independence Day. What is May about? A socially awkward young woman attempts to make friends, and it doesn't go well. Attempts to make friends. Nice. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Most places, you know, Amazon, iTunes, yada, yada, you can rent it for $4 or even buy it for 6 or 8 depending on the location. Should people watch May? I would say yes. I was also very pleasantly surprised by this movie. I don't think it's as good as Martin personally, but I know Kelsey probably thinks it's better, right? I do. I also saw this when I was in high school, so oh, it's you got... did. You've seen this before, yeah. Oh, I that's why this... you knew to pair it, yeah. With oh, we didn't say this was a recommendation, and this recommendation came to us from Benny. Benny, you recommended Martin, no. And then... He recommended May. Oh, then how did you know to put Martin together? I was just... I do my research. <laughs> nice. Good. Okay. I, I had no idea that you had seen this movie before. Yeah, I had seen May. I had not seen Martin. I was also fascinated by this movie. I, I did not expect it to enthrall me as much as it did. I think I liked it less than I liked it when I was in high school, but I still really liked it. Yeah. It's kind of fun. In any case, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2002's May. You know how when you meet someone and you think you like them, but then the more you talk to them, you see parts you don't like? Everyone always thought May was different. Jesus, what are you doing? Relaxing. Doesn't it hurt? Ow! You crazy bitch! But really... She was just misunderstood. I need a real friend. Someone I can hold. Don't be mad. Then, one day, May met Adam. Hello? 
the boy I saw today is different. So what do you do, May? I work at the animal hospital. When I left for vacation, my dog had four legs. You can't sew it back on, can you? I could. Some people think it's kind of gross. I love gross. Really? And she thought he liked her just the way she was. Oh, I'm bleeding. I know. Hey, this is weird. You like weird. Not that weird. But May's new friend turned out to be just like everyone else. I'm sorry things didn't work out between us. It just didn't feel right. So many pretty parts, no pretty holes. So May decided to make a friend of her own. I need more parts. You have a beautiful neck. I love your tattoo. Can I get a few more measurements? I love your hands. You have really beautiful legs. You're gonna look perfect. May. Kelsey, what happens in May? It opens with a credit sequence that's all sewing, so we know that sewing is going to come into play. Uh-huh. Then we see our main actress, May, screaming and holding her eye, and she's bleeding everywhere. Yep. Then we get a flashback to her as a child, and she has a lazy eye, which makes her imperfect, and her mother is a perfectionist, and so her mother forces her to wear an eye patch. And you might think that she's wearing the eye patch over her... Lazy eye. But she's not. No. She's wearing it over her normal eye, apparently to try and overwork the lazy eye. Yes. Which I think we now know does nothing. It's not that it does nothing. It's just that it's kind of the opposite of what we know now, which is like all those emo kids that wore their hair over their eye, they would start to get lazy eyes because of it. So it probably hurt her good eye more than it helped her bad eye, but I'm not an ophthalmologist, so I do not know. So she goes to school with it on, and the kids approach her, and they're like, are you a pirate? And she says no, and then nobody wants to play with her. So her mother at her birthday party is like, well, I always say, if you can't find a friend, make one. And she takes, she gives her her present, and of course, she gets mad at her daughter for ripping the paper as opposed to gently pulling it apart. But then she rips the paper off. Because it's already is, been ruined, okay. in her opinion. Yeah. And, and her dad, who doesn't care, is like, what the fuck? Her dad's just laughing it off. Uh -huh. And it's like, how on earth did these two people get together? Right. But whatever. So... She unveils it, and it is a glass box that holds a doll in it, and a very ugly doll. And she explains, this is the first doll I ever made. She's my, she was my best friend growing up. She can now be yours. And the girl excitedly goes to take her out of the box, and the mom says, no, no. She doesn't come out of the box. She's yeah. special. Her name is Susie. Yes. That is all we get of her childhood. And as far as I know, there was more to that. That's what I understand, too. But it's not really necessary. Totally. I think we got everything out of that that we needed. Uh-huh. So cut to present day where she is an adult and she is still talking to her friend doll, which makes us understand she doesn't have any friends in real life. Yeah. And she is talking to the doll, and she explains that I saw someone today, a boy, his hands are beautiful. And please don't get mad at me, but I really need a friend. I need a real friend. Yeah. And so she has these conversations, and it's pretty great. You get a pretty good understanding of what she thinks the doll is saying to her. Yeah, I, Angela Bettis did a remarkable job in this movie. I thought she was fantastic. 
She was very good. And then it gets unveiled. It's Elton. Yes. Fucking Jeremy Sisto. Elton, we should probably clarify for those of you that don't know, Elton from Clueless. If you don't know that, you need to see Clueless right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. We then get to see her at her place of business. This is when I wrote, this is going to be a very weird movie, isn't it? Because this guy is there at the front desk saying that my dog had four legs. Uh Now he has three. Uh And I can't find the other leg. (laughs) When I left for vacation, my dog had four legs. Okay? Then I came back. Now... She only has three. You know, I mean, I, I looked everywhere. I, I, I can't find her leg. I mean, what do I do? May? May, would you um help this gentleman? You gotta help me here, okay? I, I, got, a, I got a serious situation here, okay? I got a, I got a dog that's missing a leg, okay? I mean, I'm throwing, I'm throwing a stick and nothing, nothing happens. Yeah, so she works at a vet veterinarian hospital. And we meet Anna Ferris, who works with her. And she's like, do you know what a scoople is? And <laughs> May is like, you mean a scalpel? And she's like, oh. And it's very clear from the get-go that Anna Ferris is attracted to May. She calls her doll, and she's mm-hmm. always flirting with her. And the reason she called it a scoople, because Chris was like, what the fuck when it <laughs> happened? And it, it's because the vet has a very thick accent. Yes. And that's just the way he pronounces scalpel. The veterinarian is the dude from Borat? I never saw Borat. What, really? Not my kind of humor. I mean, it's, it's Waja humor, which we'll get into it in this movie. There is a lot of but he's Azamat from that movie, and those of you who are listening, you know who I'm talking about. He's the guy that he gets in the naked fight with, so that's the veterinarian. <laughs> As she's leaving work that day, she runs into Anna Ferris again, who is carving a pumpkin so that we know that Halloween is on its way. And again, Anna Ferris is hitting on her, and all May can say is... You have a beautiful neck. Yeah. Which, and, which Anna Ferris is like, thank you. Yeah, like, she uh-huh. thinks it's a big compliment. I'm like, that would freak me out. Yes. That's the kind of thing that somebody says before they slit it. Exactly. <laughs> or bite into it, as the case may be. And Anna Ferris says, you know, we should really hang out sometime and, like, eat melons. You have a beautiful neck. <sighs> thank you. <laughs> You should call me one of these nights. You know, we'll hang out and eat some melons or something. Okay. I I, I feel I like that's a that's, boob reference. Yeah, I assume that's a sexual thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Sloppy and wet. Uh, who knows? <laughs> I don't think this is going over May's head. I think May is just adverse to it. Okay. I think she understands what Anna Ferris wants, but I think that from May's perspective, that would be weird and not okay and not yeah. normal. Mm-hmm. And I think also May's attracted to men. So I think that it's just kind of like when Anna Ferris is hitting on her, it's like hitting on a wall. Yeah, very much so. I agree. So May is desperately trying to get the attention 
of Jeremy Sisto. And one of the many things that she does is she tries to walk by him across a street. Oh, my God. And he's walking and she's trying to strut her stuff. And he stops to take a cigarette right as she walks by. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's really sad because she just has this look on her face like, it's painful to watch her stalking Jeremy Sisto and trying to get his attention. It is painful. She ends up going she ends up stalking him and goes to a coffee shop that he's at. And she's made this outfit and she's again trying to get his attention. She struts by, doesn't notice her. She's in wearing the this top with no bra, so her nipples show through and like like she's really trying to go all out, which is a big deal for her. You get the sense even this early in the movie that this is not what she's comfortable doing, but she's desperate to get this man's attention. And so she's watching him. He ends up falling asleep at the table. So he had his head in his hand and his his head collapses down on the table and his hand is just left floating there in the air. Now, I couldn't I don't I didn't remember everything from when I was in high school. When this happened, I was thinking he knew she was watching him uh-huh. and he did it to see what she would do. No. But that's not what happens. He's genuinely asleep. She genuinely walks up to him to just kind of admire his hand, but then it's too it's too tempting and she smells his hand and then it becomes too tempting and she puts her face in his hand. I wrote, oh Jesus, the Waja is real. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. And you keep thinking he's going to wake up, but he's still sleeping. It's not until her hair brushes his face. Yeah. And he wakes up so slowly and he says, hello? And she freaks out. And jumps back, and he wakes up, and he's like, he finally realizes what was just happening. I don't think he realizes exactly what. I just think he's like, no, she was doing something. Because he asked her, what were you doing in the coffee shop later on? Yes. And then she just awkwardly runs away. Yeah. (laughs) So then we see her again at her job, and Anna Ferris is like, Jesus, what are you doing? And you see that she's got a scalpel, and she's putting it to the top of her finger, which anyone would know. Like, yes, that would hurt, but, like, it's not a big deal. Right. But she acts like it is, and she says, relaxing. And she's like, what? And she goes, come here, I'll show you. And so she does it, and Anna Ferris at first is like, you crazy bitch, what'd you do that for? And then she stops as the endorphins kick in, and she's like, oh... Actually, I kind of liked that. Do it again. Yeah, and I think half of this is her being like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. And then the other half is... She's dangerous. Is, 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 well, That's is, sexy. No, but is there a way I can turn this into hitting on her? Oh, she's into this. This isn't that bad. You know, maybe it's a little kinky. And she sucks on her finger. You know? Yes. So, so then the dude whose dog couldn't... Whose oh, dog's he like he finds, find, finds it in the rose bushes, and he's like, "You couldn't sew it back on, could you?" And she goes, "I could." Now I'm thinking, yeah, like theoretically you could, but it'd just be this dead leg dangling off this dog. No indication that that's she. Like she's just so good at sewing things together, and them still working. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's 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 a wink at the audience. I don't think you realize it at the time, though. Yeah. Just in retrospect, thinking back on it now, I'm like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. Cut to her doing 
So we never find out if she sews it back on or not. She just says she can. Right. Cut to her at the laundromat, and all of a sudden we hear, hello, and it's Jeremy Sisto. Yeah. And he knows it's her, obviously. Yeah. And he goes to get fabric softener or something, and he realizes he's out, and she very awkwardly says, you can use mine. She says, you can use me. Oh, you can use me. I mean, me. you can use mine. Yeah. <laughs> you can use me. I mean, mine. He introduces himself. He's Adam. And he asks her, would you like to have a cigarette with me? And she's never had one before. It's kind of a cute moment where he's like lighting it for her and kind yeah. of showing her. And he's kind of giggling yeah, at her. You got a puff. and Right. Yeah. But it's just like, you just started a girl smoking. Yeah, like, why? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I think it's supposed to be a slight indication that, yes, he's a bad boy. But also, he's probably not a good guy. Right. You know? He notices that her clothes are a lot of, they've got like a lot of patches. And he's like, do you make your own clothes? And she says, yes. And he goes, that's cool. Which she was not expecting. Yeah. And she kind of smiles a little bit when he says it. And she just says, I I feel like, I feel like May at this point is like, I'd better just be honest with him. Yeah. Yeah. You can see her getting slightly more confident with each scene. And she says, I love your hands. I think that they are beautiful. And I think she just kind of accepts the fact that, like, he's probably going to leave when I say that. Yeah. But he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He says something. I forget what he says. But she thinks he's being serious. And then he says, no, I'm kidding, May. And oh, he she- says he says he used to be a hand model. Oh, and yeah. She said, I could see that. He's like, I'm kidding. <laughs> And she she figures that out, and she laughs, and she hits him, and she hits him a little too hard. And he's, <laughs> he's like, whoa. <laughs> and that resonates with me, uh-huh. because I, especially when I was younger, uh-huh. when a guy was flirting with me, I would do the same thing. I'd hit him, you know? like, mm-hmm. And it always reminded me of Elaine. Oh, yeah. It's totally an Elaine thing. Yeah, absolutely. On Seinfeld, uh-huh. you know? She always pushes people, right? And I'm like... Shut up! (laughs) Exactly. Like, and I used to do that, so like it resonates with me. And he's like, "What the fuck?" I'm just like, "Oh God!" Did every guy I did that to think the same thing? Uh huh. They go inside. They're collecting their clothes, and her red bra falls on the ground. And he's like, "Uh oh!" And she's so embarrassed, Mm -hmm. just mortified. But at the same time. He takes out his clothes, and she sees that he's got underwear with race cars on it. Uh-huh. So she says, race cars, kind of, I think, trying to even the playing field. Uh-huh. Like, I got made fun of here, now I'm making fun of you. And he says, oh, yeah, my girlfriend bought this for me. And then her face just drops. Uh-huh. And she goes silent. Like you might expect, yeah. And he starts to walk away, realizes what he's done, stops, turns back, and says, sorry, I mean my ex-girlfriend. Yep. And... She smiles really big, and he says, I'll see you around, May. And it's so cute. She goes home, and I think he's already given her the cigarettes at that point. Yeah. He says practice. She goes home, and she's just looking at the cigarettes, and she's saying, like, see you around, May. Sure, I'll see you around. See you around, May. Because she's saying the things that he said Uh back to you, like, oh, like, you're so excited. It's so... So real. Right, right. See you around, right? See you around. See you around. Right? And she practices in her house 
apologizing to him. And she says, I'm sorry I tripped on you <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the coffee shop. Like, that's going to be her story, uh-huh. that she tripped. I'm, I'm so sorry that I tripped in front of you at the coffee shop, but maybe we can... You and I, we could do, do something. <laughs> it's really, really cute. So then... She's been stalking him, so she knows where he goes to eat and stuff. She intentionally runs into him crossing the street, where before he turned to light his cigarette and never saw her. Now they bump into each other, and he's like, oh, I was actually just about to have to eat lunch. Did you want to come with me? And they go to the park then. And he's asking her about, like, what she does, and she's like, I work at the animal hospital, and a lot of people think it's really gross. And he's like, I love gross. Disgust me. Oh, Jesus. But what he's not, so he's expecting to hear about nasty surgeries or Uh animals that come in with gaping wounds or something like that. But that is not the story she tells. She tells a story of a dog that got a botched surgery so bad that while it was just running around with its owner, its guts just fell out. Yeah. He like looks at a sandwich and he's just like, oh, my God. Because it's not just something gross. It's like, oh, no, you, not her, but the doctor, fucked up so bad that this horrible, horrible thing happened. And then she's not just telling him to be gross. She's, like, smiling and laughing. Like, it was so cool and funny. Yes. Yeah. Also, at this time, she sees blind kids playing in the park. And she specifically sees one that feels a tree and then feels that there's a person nearby. And then that person kind of shoves that girl away. And she inquires, what are all these kids doing here? Oh, I think they, they're they from the daycare next door. And she says, why are they acting like that? And he's like, I think they're blind. Yeah. The whole blind kid thing, I think, is really unnecessary. I think you're right. It's I think probably right. the only part that I'm like, that wasn't needed. There- it also shows her at her most like competent and confident, except for what happens later in the movie. So it almost feels out of character. Well, I understand why her character might have done it, but Even I not don't- motivation, I mean behavior. Right. But I yeah, I don't understand why she ends up doing with the kids what she ends up doing. That's when I'm like, what? Why the fuck would she do that? I think it's just supposed to be one of those sort of... Well, because we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to it in a second here. He tells her, I gotta go. I'm gonna go see this movie, Trauma. And she's like, what's that? And he's like, you've never seen Trauma? It's Dario Argento movie. Yeah, and I think he says we should hang out sometime. And she asks him, what about tonight? And he says, well, I've got this thing tonight, but maybe after. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's like, all right. So then they are shaking hands. Uh-huh, and, and she, she won't let go. Hand, yeah. And he goes, you want to take it with you? Yes, she does. <laughs> so then she walks into work and Anna Ferris is sucking on her thumb, which is supposed to be a reference back to, hey, look, I'm doing the same thing. Isn't that hot? Don't uh-huh. you like that? But May just walks right by her, doesn't yep. even notice. Yep. And Anna Ferris is very affronted by this. She is alone in her apartment getting excited for her date. And she ends up dancing around the room alone. So they're sitting in a broken down car eating chips and salsa, which I love. <laughs> uh-huh. It's one of Kelsey's favorite snacks. Uh, yes, it is. And he. this is when he asks her, 
what were you doing to me at the coffee shop? Uh Uh-huh. And she very awkwardly says, well, I've never had a boyfriend before. And he kind of gives her a look like, do you think we're girlfriend and boyfriend? Yeah. Uh, But I think what she mainly meant was, I've never even touched a guy. Right. I don't know how to So I was excited to touch a man. And what she does successfully in that is is she avoids saying what she was actually doing. Yes. And he he decides not to press her because he he's also confused about the boyfriend line. And and then she asks, do you like me, Adam? Mm-hmm. He says, yeah, I do. And she goes, you don't think I'm weird? And he says, no, I do. And she goes, I knew that. And he goes, I like weird. <sighs> Whew. And he says, I like you the way you are. Ugh, it's so painful because they are really cute together. Yeah, he's just a douchebag. Yeah, he is. Uh, and she's, she's also really weird, though. She's also very strange, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> and crazy, as we will find out. But yeah. it's kind of like in Martin, where if she could just get this one relationship, would she do the crazy things that she does? Right. Who knows? Uh-huh. But there she's are, lived 20-something years being her own friend with this doll, and she's developed these behaviors and these desires completely removed from any sort of other friendship or society at large. Yes. It's kind of ingrained in her now by this point. And she says, did you know that you're perfect? And he goes, nobody's perfect. And she says, you are. So he's like, would you like to see my room? Now... I don't want to say that I think he's using her at this point, because I actually think he was interested in her. I think she just gets too crazy for him. Yeah. Would you say that he was legitimately interested? I think it's more... Curious? No, I think it's more that, you know, he thinks she's kind of cute, and she's weird enough that she'll let him be whoever he wants to be. She's so obsessed with him that he can behave however he wants to behave. And if he, he can fuck her as soon as he wants to basically, and he can leave her at any time. I don't think he's expecting it to become a whole thing that she's so weird that it might be bad for him. If he breaks up with her before they enter into his house, he says some of the stuff might freak you out. And she says, nothing freaks me out. I think she's legitimately right there. Yes, and they go inside, and he's got all these weird things, and he's, like, into horror stuff, and she finds a knife, and that's the first thing she goes to, and she picks it up, and he's like, you're on to me, I'm a psycho, and he goes to stab her, and it's just a prop knife. Yeah. And so then she takes it and stabs her own heart. With his hand. Yes, and then stabs his heart. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think he's recognizing how deep this is going. Yeah, uh-huh. And it makes me so upset, because they are really cute together. If only he wasn't a dick, and if only she wasn't crazy. Yeah. So he starts to kiss her, but the poor thing has never been kissed before, and she pushes him too hard. Now, I always thought, even when I was younger, I was like, this is... Because he kind of gets like, whoa, who taught you how to kiss? Yeah. And again, yes, he's a dick. Understood that. But if he knows that she's weird and he's into that, or at least he's willing to try it, why wouldn't he, why would it surprise him that she's not a good kisser? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I had a girl, like, teach me how to kiss better. But, and and even, even on top of that, 
all she did was push him a little too right, hard. Yeah. Like, all you have to do is say, whoa, 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 calm down. Let's right. take our time. But instead, he's just a dick and then kicks her out. Right. Uh, but. I mean, nobody knows how to kiss well. I feel like he thinks he's too old to be dealing with people who don't even know how to kiss. But I do love when she comes home and she screams at Susie. Who taught you how to kiss? Yeah. Because she blames Susie. Because they were practicing together, you yes. know. Yeah. Yes. Well, she used the dolls to practice kissing. She would have the dolls kiss each other. And that's why she hit them. Yeah, she just pushed I together. Get it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I get it. Okay. She has I a thought, doll that's like a rocky I thought it was doll that she was like play kissing the doll and I was like she would have to be soft. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. No, 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 no. She was using the two dolls to represent her and him. Yeah. So because she hits Susie, she ends up stabbing her arm. So she goes into work to fix her arm. Yeah. And and the sound of the cracking glass of Susie's case from here on out is going to correlate with the cracking of May's psyche. Yes. If you've ever read The Telltale Heart, it's very similar. Yeah. It makes her go crazy. But unlike in The Telltale Heart, when he admits what he did, yeah. this causes her to do what she's yeah. going to do. <laughs> She's there, and she's fixing herself up, and I don't know why the fuck Anna Ferris is there at night. She's 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 all dolled up. She's all ready to go out. Why is she at work? She was filing. She was doing paperwork and stuff. She convinces her to watch over her cat because her landlady won't let her have her cat anymore. So May is supposed to take care of her cat. Anna Ferris asks her to come out with her. She says, hey, it's girls' night out. You want to come? And she does not. She goes home. Okay. Because Anna Ferris says, I get it. You need your beauty sleep, but not too much. And then she goes home and she calls Adam and she says, I look forward to seeing you again. It's a really awkward phone message. Uh Uh-huh. One of those classic scenes. And then she gets off the phone and she sits down and she slowly puts her hands under her chin and stares at the phone. Waiting Mm. for him to call her back. And it's just so fucking real. Yeah. It just takes you back to when you were younger and you didn't know anything about dating and you were just desperate for someone, for a guy to call you. I totally remember that feeling. So desperate and so stocky that she just shows up at his fucking house. Yes. And And again, more Waja. Oh my God. She, he opens the door and she's just standing there and he's like, hey. How long have you been here? It's like, oh, like since two o'clock. And he goes, you've really been standing here for two hours? And she goes, what do you think? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Like, the fact that he doesn't end it right then and there. (laughs) I mean, the answer is yes. We see her show up when it's light outside. When he opens the door, it's getting dark. And he says something about, I've got to do something with this tape. And it's a movie I've been working on since college and I just finished. And she says, could I watch it? I'll make you macaroni and cheese. And he's like, sounds like a date. So he goes over to her house and it's really cute. He goes to sip out of like a wine glass and he's like, is that Gatorade? Yeah. (laughs) She's like, yes. (laughs) They're sitting there and. Uh, at dinner, and she goes, you'll never believe what I had to do at work today. (laughs) And then 
it, there's a cut to when they're sitting at on the ch- on the couch. So it's like it's great because he like kind of looks at her and then uh-huh. he looks at his food and he's like, you know, I guess <laughs> I'm not gonna be eating anymore. <laughs> so they sit down to watch the movie. Now, movie's called Jack and Jill. Yes. Now he is giving her looks. The first, first of all, let me ask you: Did you notice that he was giving her looks when they first sat down? Yeah, but I think it's more like, how is she going to receive this movie? That's what I originally thought. Uh huh. Knowing what you know now, what else could you attribute those looks for? I don't know what. So the first time I saw it, he he, I thought, oh, he's worried she'll think this is weird. I don't think it's that he's worried. I think he's curious what her reaction's gonna be. The second time, now seeing it now, mm-hmm. I'm like. Is he worried about what she'll get out of this? <laughs> okay, yeah, I could see how it would par- be partially that, too, as well. Yeah. Because at this point, he is thinking she's weird. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of, like, she loves this movie. So what happens in the movie? It's the song, uh, My Baby Does the Hanky Panky, and it's supposed to be set in the 50s, and they go out on a picnic date. While on the picnic date, they end up... Biting each other like like zombies. Right, they're like touching each other all like sexually, and it just escalates more and more until she bites his finger off, and then they're like he bites her arm, and then they just destroy each other. Yes, and as the movie progresses, she keeps scooting in closer and closer. Now she's happy. She loves the movie. It's just her kind of weird, and she's confident. Yeah, now she's feeling. Love this confidence. It's the confidence she has later that that gives me that I, I I think I've said it so many times that waja it it basically means embarrassment by proxy. So she gets closer and closer and then puts his arm over her and like to, so they can cuddle and so that she can be close to his hands. Yes, uh huh. I wrote how long did it take him to make that movie? He says he's been working on it since college. It's like three minutes long. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so. He asks her, what did you think? And she says, it was sweet. However, I don't think she could have gotten his whole finger in one bite. Yeah. (laughs) What'd you think? It was sweet. It was sweet. I don't think that she could have gotten his whole finger in one bite, though. That part was kind of far-fetched. I feel like he must have liked that response because they end up kissing again. Mm -hmm. But this time, she bites him. And she bites him so hard that he's bleeding a lot. They're in bed by this point. And he has his shirt off and he's undressing her. I think they're still making out on the couch. She goes to take, like, she doesn't know what to do. So he, like, puts her arms around him. And she still doesn't know what to do. And she starts, like, grabbing at his clothes. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. Stop. Yeah. I will do this. And he takes off his shirt. Like, that's how that's Because she just kind of has her arms around him. Yes. Just, like, physically on either side of him. But not, like, grasping or petting or anything like that. So it's very awkward. But so she bites him so bad that he bleeds quite a lot. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm bleeding. And she's like, I know. It starts to drip on her. And she, like, starts bathing it, like, putting Uh it all over her face. And he's like, what are you doing? I need a towel. And then he gets up. And he's like, what is this? And she's just like, it's like your movie. 
And he's like, I think I'm going to go. Now, because she says it's like your movie, Uh I'm left wondering, was she doing that for him? Did she think that's what he wants? Kind of like Chucky in Child's Play? Sure. Or was she into it? I don't know. Well, I think she doesn't have any, like, she can totally sexualize that, but- I don't think that's what she was into. But also, she doesn't know what people do when they're alone. Right. I understand that So she's thinking, so she sees that movie, and it's these two lovers, and then this is what they do to express their love for each other. She's trying to replicate that because she doesn't know any better. So again, if It's not weird to her. Again, if he wasn't an asshole. Yeah. He might have asked her, are you into this? Or do you think I am? Because at that point, it becomes, hey, this isn't my thing. Yeah. I'm not into this. But if it's, it, it, it he doesn't care if no. it's to appease him or not. And then he says something about her being so weird, and she, full of confidence, smiling and everything, because she still doesn't quite get that things have gone wrong here, says, yeah, but you like weird. And he says, not that weird. Uh, I'll see you around. But it's just like your movie. Me? This is weird. You like weird. Not that weird. Yeah, that was... Oh, oh God, it's all... And when he... Oh, I know why. Yes, you are correct. They are in her room. Yeah, and then he because sees... Because that's when he sees the doll. Yeah. He did say at one point that he thought the doll was weird or ugly or something. When he leaves, he hears her shout, I told you to face the goddamn wall! Yeah. I told you to face the goddamn wall! And he's like, oh, fuck me. I need to get out of here. Yes. Which I totally get at that point. But again, it's just hilarious because you know that she's talking to Susie. Yes. So she goes to his house again in hopes of seeing him again like she did last time. But this time she ends up overhearing a conversation because he stands by the door and smokes a cigarette. Well, no, he doesn't. He has a cigarette in his hand. That's why he's going to go outside. And but he just opens the door and then it's his friend talking to him and a third person. His roommate is asking him about her. And the, there's a girl there, too, mm-hmm. and she's asking about it, too. And he says, "I've thankfully, I've successfully escaped that lunatic. The roommate is almost like trying to talk him into going back to her. So what's up, bro? What do you think? Ah, uh, fuck. She's pretty. Yeah, I don't think she's playing with the full deck. That's not what you wanted to be playing with. Okay, you know what? We're not talking about May anymore. I've successfully escaped that lunatic. Who's May? Some weird chick Adam just dumped. How's your lip? Stow it, all right? Would you please? So much you like your hands. Just keep them away from her face. Maybe a real prick, you know that? <laughs> She's crying. She goes to work. While at work, Anna Ferris tries talking to her, and she's not having any of it, and she's just like, sorry, I'm just angry at somebody. Anna Ferris is still talking to her, and she says something about I'm weird. And Anna Ferris says, I love weird. Mm-hmm. And so that leads to them hanging out. And while they're hanging out, Anna Ferris starts to try and, like, hook up with her. I don't think May is into it, but May says, are you serious about me? 
Mm-hmm. She goes dead serious. Well, because I think I think May just wants a companion. Well, she yeah, she wants a companion, and she sees certain things as being perfect. And what she saw in Jeremy Sisto was his hands. And then she found out that the person wasn't perfect. And then she sees Polly and she realizes, no, I think her neck is perfect. Maybe this is the person I'm supposed to be with. And as they're kind of feeling each other up, she sees a mole on Polly's finger. And she's like, oh, she's not perfect. Yeah, but what I want to make sure is clear here, she asks, are you serious about me? And Anna Faris says, dead serious. Uh And I think that's the only reason May goes along with it is because- Maybe I found somebody. Yeah. If this girl really likes me, who the fuck cares that it's a woman? I just want somebody. Right. I don't think we get any indication of May's actual sexuality in the whole movie, though. I think she it's just her looking for She's genuinely interested in Jeremy Sisko. No, she loves his hands. She falls in love with his hands, and it's literally all about his hands. Well, anyway, yeah, she does not like the mole on Anna Ferris's hands. Especially since she was just with somebody who had perfect hands. Yes. So then May decides she's doing all these things, again, trying to run into Jeremy Sisto, and obviously Jeremy Sisto is trying to avoid her. And so she ends up asking at the daycare center if she can help with the blind kids. Yeah. uh, Because that way she'll be in the park every day. Maybe she'll have a chance at seeing Jeremy Sisto. But for whatever reason, she tries to approach the blind girl who doesn't have any friends. Well, because I think she sees herself in that. Yeah, maybe because she sees herself there. And she asks, what you making? And she says, an ashtray. And I love May's response. Oh, do you smoke? Well, see, that's the thing. I think this this is like confident May. I think she was genuinely being sarcastic. But, I don't but think playful. she was. I no, think she was being serious. We need to play this line here because her delivery, it might be in her face too. I don't think she was really thinking this kid smokes. I think she was joking with the kid. I don't know. I thought she was being serious. And the kid says, no, do you? And she, she says, says, I do. I do. And she says, then you can have it when I'm done. Yeah. What you making, Beatty? Ashtray. You smoke? No. Well, then who are you making ashtray for, Petey? You smoke. Yes, I do. And you can have it when I'm done. So then she, again, is at the laundromat, and this time Jeremy Sisto shows up. And he's like, oh, hey, May, how you doing? She's like, great, actually, making new friends, trying to kind of be like, ha ha, yeah, my you, life I don't on. need you. Yeah. When he walks in, he goes all the way to the opposite end of where she is, Starts to pretend like he's putting stuff in, and then he goes, oh, this one's broken. Guess I gotta go. Immediately to which Chris is like, there's a whole other thing. Yeah, like there's rows of of units. But that is not her problem. Uh Her problem is, oh, really? And she goes and checks it, and it's totally working. And she puts a dollar in and tries it. It's worth wasting the laundry money in order to to figure out if he was lying to her or not. And he was. Mm Mm-hmm. But I love that she needs to do that to figure out. Yeah, uh-huh. it doesn't occur to her that he could have tried any one of these other units. Yeah, and she just won't take the hint, even though she knows she keeps doing these things and she keeps realizing he's never going to come back. But she keeps doing them again. Very real for anybody who's ever been in love with somebody who is not in love with them, and you just do everything you can to try and get that person back. And it's just never going to work. Yeah. 
So then she goes to take refuge at Anna Ferris's house. Yeah. But unfortunately, when she gets there, she sees the legs of another woman. And it, it, there's this really cute moment where, because Anna Ferris answers the door like in her robes, and she puts her hand up on the door jam, and her sleeve is hanging down. And so when she moves her hand, there are legs there, and they're just kind of dangling. They're in the back room. And all she sees are these n- naked legs. And as they're talking more and more, May can't stop looking at these legs. And so she grabs Polly's hand and puts it back up on the door jam to cover it up. Yes, it was so cute. It's very upsetting to her uh-huh. to know that she's with her. And Anna Ferris is like, oh, it was an opportunity. I just couldn't pass up. Also, she- perfect legs. We're not there yet. Right. But I mean, yes. she, she notices the legs are really good. And she says, it's an opportunity I just couldn't pass up. Do you want to join us? And of course, May's like, no. No. And she's like, but I got to hit this. And the girl keeps talking and she's like, shut up, hooker. Yeah. What's going on up there, sweetie? Shut up, hooker. It's quite funny. And it, it, I mean, I think it's supposed to just show you, like, Anna Ferris doesn't give a shit about anybody. No, she just wants to fuck. Yes. And then she realizes that May is jealous and she says, oh, come on. You know, you're my main mama. See, here's the thing. If you want somebody to seem like they're bad to other people in a relationship, when they find out that somebody's jealous, if they go, oh, my God, you're jealous like that, that person's a fuckhead. No, you're jealous. Like if you find out that somebody important to you is jealous, you don't react that way Mm -hmm. unless that other person is not important to you. Mm -hmm. So. She goes back to her house, where again, she's taking care of Loopy, the Anna Ferris's cat, and she tries to pet the cat, and the cat's having none of it. And she's like, come on, Loopy, it's been a rough couple of days. And the cat hisses at her, uh-huh. and she gets so pissed that she takes the ashtray that the blind girl made for her and throws it at the cat, and it ends up killing the cat. What else contributed to her anger? Oh, the sound of the glass breaking. No, she called Adam and he's like, hey, you. And she says, how'd you know it was me? And he's like, who is this? And she gets really upset. Yeah. Because she thought he was excited to talk to her. Yeah. And so she throws the ashtray and just fucking hits Loopy. And kills Loopy. Yeah. She doesn't seem too bothered by it. She says at one at one point later, I'm going to miss petting you. Yes. <laughs> so then this is the scene with the blind kids that I'm just like, what is this doing? In this yeah, movie? but it does eventually lead to I wrote here in the notes what the actual fuck. So she brings Susie to the doll as a reminder <laughs> to like a show and tell for the blind kids and is like, oh, it's my friend. And they're like, it's a box. And one of the kids is like, maybe her friend's in the box. It's like a teaching moment. She's like, exactly. You know, and then the the girl that she's become attached to says, well, take it out of the box. Yeah. Now, they show that other people are in the room. Yes. Watching this happen. No one steps in. To be like, no, she doesn't want to take it out of the box. That's not what we're no doing here. No one helps her. She doesn't just grab the box and walk away. No, all the kids reach out for the box. And again, they're blind kids. So it's just, it's that, that image of just them reaching out in front of them, grasping, but not knowing what they're grasping for. 
They grab the box. It falls. It shatters. And when they get excited because the box is open and Susie has come out, they all reach out to touch Susie and they just hands in the broken glass. Which is a problem because anyone who's seen Wait Until Dark. Yeah. Knows that they would have heard that glass shatter. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. And they would know. I mean, I know they're kids, but like they have to have learned by now that there are dangerous things they could be touching. Especially blind kids, especially. Yeah. Like it's a very unrealistic scene. Yeah. And it's supposed to lead to. I mean, the reason it happens is so there's an excuse for why the doll has come out. The doll is broken, meaning that May is now broken. And, like, I get the metaphor, but you could have done it a billion different ways. They, why was this necessary? When they are reaching out for the glass, it's very surreal because they scream and stuff, but it doesn't end there. It's not like, oh, my God, they're damaged by the glass. No, they grab Susie and rip Susie apart. Yeah, and there's blood everywhere, and uh-huh. and May is flipping out, and like I get, like, again, I get that it's a metaphor. It's just a weird one. Why choose to do it this way? Why not make May get so mad that she ends up hitting the doll and it breaks? Like, do something else. Why was it necessary to see all these blind yeah, kids? It was weird. Searching through glass. It was weird. Yeah. So. Now she's fucking traumatized. So now she's just sitting on a bus stop. When out of nowhere, here comes Frank. Yes, it's it's a he's a punk basically. It's, SLC punk. It's James. Even Duvall. though he's not a punk in SLC punk. No, he's the mod. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and he has like these big spikes that are messy and stuff, and and he seems kind of into her. And he's like, "Hey, you want to come get some jujubes with me?" And she goes, "What's the point?" And he's like. Oh, just trying to be friendly. And so she decides, fuck it. Let's Uh try it one more time. Uh Uh-huh. So they're hanging out. They go back to her house. And it's the weirdest thing. Is it her house or his house? I don't remember. It's. Oh, it's her house. It's definitely her house. Yes. Yeah. And it's really weird because he's like, God, it's hot in here. I'm going to take off my shirt. I think this is his way of hitting on her. Yeah, I'm like, is he going to rape her? What is going no, on? No, I think he wants to have sex with her and he's hitting on her like, look at my bare chest. And he's like, it's really hot. Can I have some ice for my nipples? Yeah. Like he's trying to be like all sexy, but in a weird, awkward way. Yeah. And so he goes into the kitchen to open the freezer and she's like, no, don't open that. And he's like, what? I need some ice for my nipples. And he opens up the freezer. It's like, what the fuck is that? It's the dead cat frozen and wrapped up in the in the freezer. She's like, fuck, now oh, we, what do I do? We didn't mention that when he took off his shirt, what did she say? What, his chest is perfect or whatever? I love your arms. Oh, your arms, yes. I love your tattoo. Yeah. Of Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> I guess because it's weird. Well, Frankenstein's monster. Um. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, you fucking freak. I'm not going to be your friend. Like, what an asshole. Yeah. You have no idea what happened. Maybe that was her cat and she was just too sad to bury it. Like, f- 
you don't fucking know. Yeah, or she needs to take it to be disposed of and she couldn't go right then. Like, so she had a billion reasons. A billion reasons. They'd all be weird, but not like you fucking freak weird. But so because he says you fucking freak, she loses it. Yep, and she grabs grabs her scissors scissors and just stabs him right in the head, right? Right through the forehead. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But- he puts his hands up. Oh, yeah, and it's through his hands and then pins his hands to his forehead. Which is very unrealistic because yes. it was not, those scissors were not that long. It's very, it's very silly. Yes. Yeah. And then she's looking at him and she says, I need more parts. Because earlier when she was sitting on the bench, she had said, so many perfect parts, no, no perfect holes. Yes. Are you Okay. So many pretty parts, no pretty holes. No shit. And she says, I need more parts. Uh Uh-huh. I like this May that we see here. So this is the confident evil May. Yes. And she is sitting there at the park, and Jeremy Sisto approaches her. And he says, hey, May. And she goes, hey, dude, what's up? She said, what's up, dude? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, uh, nothing. What are you reading about? Amputation. <laughs> oh, for work? No, for fun. Because at this point, she can give fuck. Yeah. Uh-huh. She knows she's not going to have anything permanent with Jeremy Sisto. Yeah. He's like, look, you know, I'm sorry about us not working out. It just doesn't feel right. She goes, I get it. I understand now. And he goes to, like, shake her hand, and, like, she's holding on to his hand, and he's like, all right, I really have to go. And she says, bye, hands. Later, hands. Yeah. Uh-huh. Later, hands. And he's just like, that's really fucking <laughs> I love this May. She is very entertaining. So then they're at work, and Ambrosia shows up again, the one that was at Anna Ferris's house. Yeah. Oh, did you bring me my lunch? What would you do without me? You know, uh-huh. that kind of thing. And confident, mean May says, nice games. And you can tell that the girl doesn't like the way she said it, but she says thanks. Well, she she already doesn't like her as the one who showed up at Polly's house, and so she's just like, "What the fuck? How? What? Like it was it was almost offensive to her. Not that she would be offended that somebody said she had nice gams, but who the fuck are you? Yeah, I don't like you. For some reason, she looks at Anna Ferris's hand and she goes, "Have you ever thought of having that removed?" About her mole. Uh-huh. And she goes, my grandma always said imperfections are what makes us special. Uh-huh. <laughs> and May just kind of gives her this look like, sure, honey. Yeah. Do you know what we have not talked about at all? Is her lazy eye? Yes. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that. I will mention it at the end. She's been wearing contacts most of this whole entire time. Yes. That corrects that problem. Which is why she was confident enough to approach Jeremy Sisto in the first place. Right. But they've been really bothering her as she starts to go more and more crazy and the glass on the case starts cracking more and more until eventually she tears the contacts out and she's forced to be wearing glasses at this point. So she ends up going to a hardware store and I love that it's called Baller Hardware. (laughs) I didn't notice that. I'm sure it's a name, but it's like Baller. Baller. (laughs) But so she's getting stuff for Halloween night. Uh-huh. And she ends up leaving a voicemail for Anna Ferris saying, and this like all serial killers, if you can pretend to be normal, why don't you just be normal? Well, cuz they still have the desires underneath it all. How the, how when they're pretending to be normal, that's how they get by, but they still have the desires. But before 
before this, it seemed like she didn't know how to be normal. Right. But now suddenly Where did she, she get does? this knowledge? Because it wasn't that she didn't feel comfortable being normal. It's that, like you say, she didn't know how. So right. why is it that she ha- all of a sudden has this knowledge of how to be normal and aloof? Right. And yeah, uh-huh. not only, not just the capability. The capability makes sense. The knowledge doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, Polly. This is May. Happy Halloween. I was thinking about popping by later to bring you your new blouse. Show you my costume. Give me a call if that's cool. Miss you. Kisses. Call me, Kay. And this is when she says, if you can't find a friend, make one. Yeah. If you can't find a friend, make one. Earlier, she had been using a tape measure on her neck. Mm -hmm. And she had asked her, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm going to make you a blouse. And so that's her excuse for coming over is that she has this blouse for her. Uh Uh-huh. And when she shows up, apparently Anna Faris never called her back. Because Anna Faris is like... Hey, I saw that you called. I've just been so busy. She's like, are you doing anything right now? And and she's like, no. Yeah, and so she lets her in. She's like, actually, no, I'm not. You can totally come in knowing full well that Ambrosia is going to be coming by later. Mm-hmm. Because she even asks her later, like, are you expecting anyone? And she says no. Mm-hmm. But as they're hanging out, she's like, did you bring my blouse? And she says No. And then she says, you're not sore about Ambrosia, are you? Uh And she says, no, I'm not. Well, she's just a piece of ass. It's nothing serious. And then Anna Faris notices that May has taken out scalpels. Scoopels? Yes. (laughs) And remember, they have this thing, and so... Anna Ferris thinks she's being sexy. Yeah, it's kind of built up to this throughout the movie that she would be like, you know, I trust you. Yes, and so May is playing with the knives over her neck, and Anna Faris says, Oh, please don't hurt me. I know you never would. I trust you. And as she's saying, I trust you, slice. And Anna Faris is shocked. It's a great shock. But she does not make a noise. And these these murder scenes are all eerily quiet. There's not even any music playing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love that. Yeah. It makes it very creepy and very real. Yeah. In what is otherwise a ridiculous movie. And even some of the kills are ridiculous. But that quiet kind of makes it intense. So then Ambrosia shows up and May talks to her. And Ambrosia's just a total bitch. She's like, I don't know what Anna Faris sees in you, blah, 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 blah. And May says, Polly doesn't see anything. Nice legs. Uh-huh. And she goes, I thought they were gams. Yeah. And she goes, eh. And then she kills her. <laughs> yeah. Now, the the kill, I can't even remember how it happened. Needles to the temple. Oh, yeah. And they were kind of like off center. Yeah. Like they, so I was like, yeah, the death didn't look quite right. But the next shot is she drops the milk that she's carrying and the milk spills everywhere. And then the blood spills into the milk. And I thought that was kind of a cool look. And you're kind of okay with this sort of gimmicky forced premise of what May is doing here. Because again, kind of like with me and Martin, although since Martin is much more serious, it's probably harder to happen. Like it didn't happen for Kelsey. You, you kind of like May, like you, you really kind of do. And it's, almost so silly that you don't take the murder seriously. Mm -hmm. So you don't hold it against May as much as you do Martin. So you're kind of like rooting for her. 
you know, and not in the way that you might root for a Jason where it's they kind of take over their franchises when they shouldn't. But in this, it's all about May. That's who it's about. It's her story. And because it's Halloween, it doesn't matter that she's getting covered in blood uh-huh. and that she has body parts in a giant cooler that she's walking around with because it looks like a costume. Yes, there is a cheerleader at one point who asks May, got any cold ones in there? Mm-hmm. And she says, yes, I do. <laughs> I love her <laughs> And she response. doesn't offer anything up or whatever. Apparently, that zombie cheerleader is from All Cheerleaders Must Die, which was Lucky McKee's first movie uh-huh. before this. So she heads over to Elton's house. Yeah. He answers the door and he's just like, you should have called. And she says, would you have answered? And he goes, yeah, if I was home. Then a girl comes to the door. Yeah, this is the other girl who was in the house that other time. It's the one who he thought was calling him before. Mm-hmm. It's his current girlfriend. Yes. he He's trying to get rid of me. And the girl is enjoying the fact that, haha, I have the hot guy. You don't have him. And so teasingly, and, and teasingly, she says, hey, do you want a drink? Uh-huh. Kind of to piss off Elton, kind of to be in the face of uh, May, but also because she's drunk. Uh-huh. And May takes that, oh, fuck yeah, I want to come inside for a uh-huh. drink. Because now Elton can't get rid of me. Yep. So she comes inside. And uh, she's just like, it's okay. I didn't come to see you. <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty great because she's got this confidence now. Mm-hmm. She must have said something about his hands because the girl sits on his lap and starts playing with his hands. Uh-huh. Oh, that's right. Because she says, touch my face. Yes. To which the girl's like, fuck you. This is my boyfriend. Uh-huh. And she starts playing with his hands in front of her. And it's really interesting because Jeremy Sisto, Adam, is just kind of looking at May like, I'm sorry. Because he knows how much she's in love with his hands. Yeah. And I don't think he likes that this girl's being such a bitch to him. Right. Which is in stark contrast to earlier in the film when he said, I got rid of that crazy person. I don't think he's happy with anybody. Right. Like, I think he's just an asshole. And he's, he's, it, it's almost like he's not saying or doing much because everything is so weird. And like you say, he's not happy with anybody. And he would prefer if everyone just kind of went away at this point. When the girl starts to suck on his fingers, May says, stop that, they're mine. And she goes, no, they're not. And something happens where the girl falls on the floor. She's like, fine, you can have him. I don't care. And she like falls on the floor. Yeah. Something, because he's not having any of it with her either. And she's like, are you going to help me up? And he's just totally doesn't give a fuck. Yep. He's like, look, I'm super drunk. I would just like you to leave. And the girl goes, fine, I guess I'll go. And he goes, not you dumb shit. And she's just like. Oh, great. Now I'm a dumb shit. And May doesn't care. Yeah, she doesn't give a shit. Not interested in any of this. Uh Not what she's here for. And she ends up stabbing the girl in the neck. Uh Uh-huh. And then stabbing him in the gut. Yes. She now has all of her parts. Yeah. And we go, one of the greatest shots in the movie is she's, you see her, she's covered in blood when she gets home, and she turns on the, the shower, and then you see her scrubbing her leg in the shower, 
and then it pans out and you realize it's not her leg. <laughs> it's Ambrosia's leg that she's scrubbing down. Yes. It's a fantastic shot. Yes. I love it. So then we end up seeing the whole thing. So she sews together this body from all the parts. Yes. She's got the legs from the Ambrosia. She's got uh, the arms from the punk. She's got Elton's hands. And she has the neck from Anna Ferris. Polly. And she has the fur from the cat that she sews like on its head or somewhere else. And she makes like this sort of like shroud for its face because we don't see whose face it is. Mm-hmm. It might not be anybody's I don't face. think it is. Yeah. I think I think the torso and the head are just stuffing. Yeah. And, and she makes these fake eyes that she puts in its place. And then she's like, now we can be best friends. And she's trying to talk to it. But something is wrong. You can't see me. You can't see me. You don't have eyes. Yep. Right. Can't see me. Can't see me. So she decides... I need to sacrifice for my friend. And she sacrifices. See, this is where all of this gets a little bit muddy. She sacrifices her bad eye because it's something that she can sacrifice. But also, isn't this a collection of perfect things? Yeah. So it's a little bit, eh, well, uh, but Are also. Are you sure it's her lazy eye that she gives it? Yeah, because we see it in the mirror. And in the mirror image, it's the left eye, the one on our right, the person's left. But it's in the mirror, so it's actually her right eye. Okay. At least that's the way I interpreted it. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But in any case, if even if she gouged out her good eye, she just stabs it into her eye. Like, she doesn't. she's not surgical about it or anything. And she screams in pain, and we get that moment that we saw in the very, very beginning. So I have a question for you, Kelsey. Okay. Do you think they should have shown us her having gouged out her own eye at the beginning? I don't think it matters. I, I mean, I think it's so forgettable. You've no, forgotten I, it by this point. I d- absolutely did not. I was like, okay, well, here's where she gouges out her own eye, because we saw that before. That's why I wrote down the question, do you think – that there was anything we gained from having seen that in the beginning other than, oh, it's going to be a crazy movie. I don't think so. Okay. She puts it on the person and she shouts at it, see me. She's so desperate to be seen. See me! I want... (laughs) See And that's something that we don't really get in this movie. I mean, especially, I mean, ultimately we find out that that's at the heart of it all. She wants a perfect partner, but it's nothing if she can't also be seen because she's been lonely and isolated her whole entire life. Which then makes zero sense why she would go and be a caregiver for a bunch of blind people. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's what she wanted. As she's laying there, the arm comes up. And touches her face. Yes. Kind of knew it was going to end with that. I've always interpreted that as that's her dying and that's her imagining what's happening. Right. Totally. Even if it's not, it's uh, it's gothic macabre whimsy. But the movie can end there because it doesn't have to explain it. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a very safe place for the movie to end. That's why I was like, uh, he's going to move out. It's going to actually move. It's going to hold her or touch her in some way. And then credits. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Like, oh, that's a really safe move there, movie. <laughs> but I feel like where else was the movie going to go? Yeah. But it, 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 you'd think that, oh, my God, it's such a bizarre ending. But it's, it's safe because it, it, because it's ending, it doesn't have to explain any of it. You know, so it can get away with doing whatever the fuck it wants at the end. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't really have any lightning round stuff except for the fact that we see Lucky McKee. He's the man who's making out with his girlfriend in the elevator a couple times in the movie. Mm -hmm. That's the writer director. Do you have any lightning round stuff? Nope. I feel like we got through everything. Mm -hmm. What do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 87? 68. I'm just totally off today. And the critical consensus is literally just above average slasher flick. Metacritic of 58. Wow. No cinema score. Overrated or underrated? Underrated. What would you give it? I'll give it a 74. I was going to give it a 72. So we're pretty much right there. I think it's good. It's good. It's fun. It's solid. Yeah. It's unexpected in a lot of ways. It kind of makes you happy. For May, when she's really confident, it has all that waja that I absolutely hate, but you just want to see what happens next. Mm -hmm. And her behaviors and the little ticks that she gets down and the way she moves and smiles and is awkward she's is an just excellent mwah, character. Just perfect. She's an excellent character. And uh, yeah, she did a great job with it. It's super creepy. It's funny. It's entertaining. It just doesn't do enough to make it seem very special. Right. I like it. Yeah. And I would recommend that you see it because it is interesting and weird. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, a lot more fun to watch than Martin was. Oh, yeah. Martin's not fun to watch <laughs> at all. I just, it just resonated, I feel. And this resonates with me because there's so... It's she, relatable, she, but in a very extreme, goofy way. Exactly. Yeah. It's so relatable to when I was in high school and starting to date and what mm -hmm. th those thoughts and feelings that you have, and you're super nervous and uncomfortable. It's just that, unfortunately for her, it happened eh, a little over a decade too late. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. Exactly. Well, good. I mean, I personally loved this week. I thought this was a great week. Y your thoughts overall? Uh, overall? both films i just martin was not fun for me to watch it just feels like better filmmaking like this is horror cinema may's not horror cinema it's a fun above average horror flick i would say more than above average it's a good horror flick yeah it did it did a lot of interesting things that like you said were unexpected yeah until once you're in the groove of it and you're like, all right, this is going to go weird places. And sometimes it does. And other times it's predictable. So it's not incredible or amazing, but it's good. I liked mm -hmm. it. That is 2002's May, thus ending our broken romantics week on Pod Cemetery. Thank you very much for recommending May, Benny. That was awesome. Uh, really surprised to hear that Kelsey had seen it before. And thank you, Kelsey, for pairing it with Martin. I'm really glad that I got to watch that. I'm glad. What are we watching next week? Next week is another recommendation week. Okay. This one comes to us from Diane. Diane. Yes. 
She wanted us to do two movies about evil mirrors, which we have done before. Yeah, we did Oculus. Yes, yeah, so she recommended two movies I have never heard of. One called Mirror Mirror. I feel like I've heard of that. And the other called Don't Look Away. Not sure. I mean, they're not going to be as good as Oculus. Whew. Oculus is great. Yes, it is, but you don't know that these aren't going to be good. It's a lot to live up to. <laughs> True. I'm I'm excited for them, though. I feel like I've heard of, of Mirror Mirror before. I haven't seen either one of them, so excited to see what comes of this. So thank you very much for those recommendations, Diane. Anyone else can make recommendations to us on our Twitter, which I highly recommend you follow because we post a lot of extra stuff related to the episodes at Pod Cemetery. You can also send us emails at podcemetery at gmail.com. You can visit us on our website, podcemetery.com. Get a list of all of our episodes, a list of every movie we've ever covered, all 220 of them. Uh, Just to find maybe episodes that you haven't listened to that you might be interested in, I'd highly recommend that. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is a huge, huge help. I cannot stress that enough. It really does wonders for us. Of course, sharing us with your friends is a great way to spread the show, and we'd really, really appreciate it. But of course, listening in the GD first place, we appreciate the absolute most. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? In real life, you can't get people to do what you really want them to do. Martin is a boy with problems. Martin has a family history. Martin has too many nightmares. He lives in a fantasy. There's a danger that he'll take too far. His morbid curiosity. My name is Chris. Hi, my name is Kelsey. Do that again. Yes. We think we are so smart. That is what makes it easy for Nosferatu. (laughs) Nosferatu. Because we think we're so intelligent. We think that shit could never Mm -hmm. happen. You weren't supposed to be here. Ben, you're always running here and there. (laughs) You... Feel you're not wanted anywhere. So weird that he decided to do a theme song. Sounds like a love song for a sequel to a horror movie about rats. So weird. He can't help what his parents made him do. Yeah, he was pretty young. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That song was up for an Oscar. It was. It's a great song. They play it on the radio. It's a great song. By a bad, bad man. <laughs> Hold on. I realized I didn't look this up and I wanted to. Um, where is he? Polly Blank, Ambrosia, Papa Kennedy, Mama Kennedy, Young May, Petey, Hoop, Chris, Buckle. Lucille, Jesus, how far down the cast list is he? Um, Dr. Wolf, Autometrist, Foreign Doctor. He's just listed as Foreign Doctor. He's dressed as Jesus. Oh, I thought he was dressed as Caesar. Or Caesar, yeah, maybe. Which makes more sense with the Caesar stab. Yeah. Yeah, that's why he has the fake knife. Yeah. Okay. I desperately wanted to get one of those for when I taught Caesar, and you can't find those anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um... Besides which, I probably wouldn't have been allowed to bring to school, but whatever. Uh, So. What are we watching next week? You have no idea, do you? This one comes to us from Diana. Diana. No, Diane. Diane. You want to say that again? Things only seem magic. There is no real magic.